Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. And I'm ready. I'm ready. Who here has an analog Bible? You brought a paper Bible to church. Wave it at me. Okay, we got a couple. Hey, we have more than the first service, I think. That's good. Good on you. Who here has a digital Bible? Put up your hand. Put up your hand. You got a digital Bible. Everybody else. Praise God. If you don't, just sneak off your friend. We got one on the screen. So I want to talk today. Um, in the first month of the year, for the last six years or so, Justin, I, and some members of our team um, have read the entire Bible in January. So it's been fun. It's called The Shred. The Shred. And uh, we have a Bible reading plan. I like to do it. I listen to the Bible at two times speed while I read, okay? It's the Bible on steroids, people. Come on, thank you, technology. It's about an hour and 15 minutes of reading a day if you do it that quickly. And some people go, man, how, how do you read the Bible that fast? Listen, the Bible's meant to be read slow, but it's also meant to be read fast. And there's some things that you can get out of the Bible when you consume large parts of it that you don't when you consume small parts. It's so cool. There's actually been people in our church that have been Christians for years, and they've never read the entire Bible. Like, I haven't read Haggai or Malachi, you know? And all of a sudden, boom, they've just read the whole Bible in one month. It's awesome. Um, and so, I was in the Old Testament for a while this month, and I want to preach a little bit out of the Old Testament today. Is that cool? And we're going to talk a little bit about David. We're going to set it up with Philippians. I, I bragged on Justin in our first service, too. Justin decided he always takes, like, a challenge, and he'll, he'll go, like, he'll 10x the challenge. And he decided to start the year with a fast from Sunday to Sunday, okay? Liquids only from Sunday to Sunday. And he, had to, he couldn't eat before he finished the Bible in one week. And Justin read it in one week, Okay. That's savage. I'm like, I'm like not even halfway through. I'm like, you were done two weeks ago, you know? Kind of crazy, but I want to preach in the Old Testament today. Philippians 2, verse 12. We're going to read two translations of this. I think they're going to give us two different angles just to kind of set this message up. Here's the NIV, one of my favorite scriptures. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence... Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his purpose. I think you should underline this one. This is good. Here's the NLT version. Okay? New Living. Dear friends, you have always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away... It is even more important, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire, come on, and the power to do what pleases him. Okay, I want to preach a message today. If you're taking notes, you can write this at the top of your page, developing desire, developing desire. Desire. Let's just pray one more time and ask God to speak to us. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us today as, as we look to your word? God, as we study the life of David, I just pray that you would develop desire in your church today. Lord God, that we would leave church today wanting you more than we've wanted you. God, I pray that we'd leave church today with a desire to desire you. Thank you that you're speaking today, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, come on, everybody say amen one more time. Amen. Amen. I want to talk about developing 
desire. Um, man, I, I love being a dad. One, one great thing about being a dad is you always have sermon illustrations. Can I get a big amen? You always got something going on. And, uh, and I was thinking about one of the best parts of, of being a dad that has been uh, so much fun is all of the stuff that is nostalgic about my childhood, I get to relive. Come on, all the time, you know? Like, like this, this Chris, we, we've had some Christmases. I've told the church about this, but we, where Lego was a big deal, and I just got to build all the Lego I wanted. And, and the joke in our family is always like, is this one for Jacob or is this one for Kobe? You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, I want the Ninjago Dragon. Let's get that one, you know? And, uh, and then Jacob's like away playing and I'm building it, you know? But, uh, you know, there's something about the desire of a child. This Christmas, it was the Nerf gun Christmas. We got some Nerf guns, man, and I was just lighting Jacob up. You know what I'm saying? He's had welts all over him. I got a, I got a mini gun Nerf gun with a chain on it, man, 40 shots, and I was, gosh, 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 Dad, no, he's crying. <laughs> welts, you know, praise God. And, uh, but, there, but there's something so pure about the desire of a child. Something so beautiful about the desire of a child. And, and I think one reason that as parents we love to bless our kids is obviously we love our kids, but we love the wonder in their eyes. This childlike wonder. We remember something about the purity of life when we see the wonder in our children's eyes. And, and I, I, the desires of kids make no sense. Like, like, like they want, they, they don't know that that's impossible. They don't know that you can't achieve that. And that's what makes it beautiful. And like you have to kind of, as a parent, balance the truth, but, but you don't want to smash their hope or their wonder. And, 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 so, and I, I love hearing the desires of my kids. Jacob right now, man, and he just has this desire to be in the NBA, that is his heart's desire. And, and my, my friends, it, I, he was talking to a guy in our church, and he was saying, um, he was going, uh, the, the, this guy was saying, hey, so, so if you make it to the NBA, and my son Jacob's like, let me stop you right there. When I make it to the NBA, now you can continue. I'm like, wow. I mean, this little guy, he just believes. And I'm like, man, that is almost impossible. But good on him. He's got, he's got a desire. That desire gets him outside, and he'll throw the basketball around, and, and, and he'll do some things because he's developed this desire in his heart, and he really believes it. And he'll, he went up to a 35-year-old man and went, excuse me, because of desire. You know, my daughter, June, She's 10 years old, and, and she's got a totally different desire than Jacob. Her desire, it's so cute. It's ador- she wants to be 12 forever. Oh, she says, Daddy. Literally, my daughter talks like this. It is insane. She's so cute. She's like, Daddy. She's like, I just want to be 12 forever. I never want to grow up. I'm like, I never want you to grow up either. <laughs> Please, God. Can we just go to Neverland? You know, she's so gorgeous. And I'm like, please, you know, but, but, you know, so I have to wrestle with it. I'm like, that's so sweet. You want to be 12. You want to be daddy's little girl forever. Is there anything a dad could want more than that? But you also have to go, ah, and there's just like this desire, right? And then my son Jed, totally different desire. My son Jed is literally, we should have made his middle name Savage. 
He is this savage, and he's an athlete. And he just, when he throws, it's pure when he throws a ball and he swings a golf club. He's just got it. And Jed, from out of the womb, he's always just wanted to, like, he just cherishes the beauty of women. He doesn't even know why. It's instinct. He's like, that is something that is beautiful, that was made by God, and it needs to be honored and protected. That is literally like, that's just Jed. Like, in class, I'll see him, and there'll be like a girl, like, you know, a little kid, and she's going to sit down, and he'll just pull out the chair ever so gently and just be like, this is for you, you know? And there's, there's no romance. There's nothing. There's just honor, you know? And... <laughs> And, and like when, when him and uh, me and his mom are like, maybe we're like being sarcastic and we're like kind of like attacking each other and like laughing and like just, you know, being silly. He'll be like, don't you ever talk to my mother that way. I'm like, oh my goodness, this kid is awesome, you know. And his deepest desire, it's insane. He just wants to marry a woman exactly like his mom. That's all he wants to do. And literally, I actually think his really deepest desire, he wants to marry his mom. He's like, Mom, can I marry you? She's like, it doesn't work that way. He's like, dang it, okay, then what am I going to do? You know? It's, it's just so pure, the desire of kids. You know? Hey, friends, we're the children of God. Hey, that purity that we're seeing in, in, in their eyes, I think is something beautiful. And it's something that looks a lot like what God would want us to look like. Maybe the desires are misplaced, but that wonder, that belief, that faith they have in something greater is something that every child of God needs deeply in our life. Actually, the Christian faith is a desiring faith. It is an affectionate faith. Come on, somebody. It is a passionate faith. That's why I, I honestly, it's really hard for me to sit in dry, stale church services because what we need to cultivate is a desire for God in our people. It is so important that no matter what season you're going through, you would cultivate and develop a deeper desire for the Lord. Amen? Could you imagine if, if people came to Vivid and, you know, our, our, we, we measure everything we do by fun, love, and truth in our church, and we want... Fun because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Love because perfect love casts out fear and truth because the truth sets you free. And we believe God wants to make us strong, fearless, and free in this church. And so, so every week we're like, was it fun? Did we love people? Did we speak the truth? And, 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 and I just think that, um, that, that as a church, I want our church to be fun. I want our church to have truth. But more than anything, you know what we really want? We want our church to be a church where people walk in and go, they really love the Lord at that church. They desire God. There's a deep desire for God. They're not doing it for show. They're not doing it for hype. They're not doing it to be the coolest church in town. They're doing it because there is a deep love, passion, and an affection for Jesus in the church. So how do we develop desire? You know, passion and desire are two words that get thrown around a lot in our culture. And they're connected. Because passion is the litmus test of desire. See, passion is this word that means to suffer. And, and suffering actually shows you what you value. Amen? Because suffering costs you. And so uh, I'm, I'm not my personality. I am my passions. And when, uh, if I, if I want to know if I'm a dad, I'm a dad if I'm willing to suffer to love my kids. 
I'm a dad if I'm willing to work hard and make sacrifices and make decisions in my life that actually maybe don't benefit me, but benefit them more than me. And when I'm able to do that and endure the pain of that, that's actually what makes me a father, not just producing an offspring, but sacrificing for my children. That's actually what makes me a husband. That's actually what makes me a pastor. Friends, the Bible says pick up your cross and follow Jesus because when it's hard to follow the Lord, when we suffer to serve him because we've got to get up early and we've got a habit and we're saying no to certain things and we're saying yes to other things. Sometimes when we talk about suffering, our, our, our modern brain just always goes to the extremes and it's like, I'm in India and I'm dying for my faith. It's like, no, 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 I'm talking about your daily disciplines, the things that you do every day that might hurt just a little bit, but you do them to remind your soul that you desire God. Come on, we've got to be a more passionate church. Can I get an Amen. That's why you're here today. Isn't that great? Hey, you made it to church today. It was difficult for you to serve God because you had to get in your car or take a bus or walk over here. And you made some time available on your precious Sunday, which might be your only day of rest. But you did it because you wanted to honor the Lord with a sacrifice that cost you something. And you're developing desire just by having your butt in a seat today. Pat yourself on the back. That's what church is all about. That's why we do this. That's all I want to talk about today. How do we develop desire? Because I've seen this epidemic of us as modern people constantly numbing ourselves with things that create some dopamine in our brain and never getting quiet enough to, de to develop true desire for God. And we're just like, I'm feeling awkward. I'm going to look at a screen or I'm going to watch something and Friends, I think entertainment's awesome. I think humans need it. But, but I think that we have to be mature enough as Christians to know and, and be honest enough with ourselves. I'm not developing desire for God in my life. That's not your pastor's responsibility. That's your responsibility to develop. So how do we do that? And friends, like I said on the onset of this sermon, I don't necessarily want us to leave today or, or, or I don't, we don't need to leave today with this deeper desire for God. But here's what I do want us to leave today with. A desire to desire him more. So how do we develop desire in our life? Here's point number one. You can write it down if you're taking notes. This is really good. Shallow fantasies do not produce deep desires. Shallow fantasies do not produce deep desires. Second Samuel 6, we're talking about the life of David and, and one of the priests that he worked with named Obed-Edom today. 2 Samuel 6, verse 3, they placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart that carried the ark of God. Ahio walked in front of the ark. Okay, it might be your first time in church today, and we're talking about the ark of God, okay? We're going to go deep right away, okay? If you don't know, the ark of God, it was the ark of the covenant. And in the Old Testament, before Jesus came to pay for our sins so that we can boldly come into his presence like we were talking about during worship, see, the blood of Jesus covered our sins so that we could step into the presence of a holy God. And the ark of God was actually a type of Jesus, a symbol of Jesus, a foreshadowing of Jesus that symbolized the physical presence of God on planet Earth. And before... Jesus died and the veil tore in the temple and God's presence by his Holy Spirit was actually able to come into the hearts of his people. 
the presence of God was actually focused on a literal place on earth in the temple. And that place specifically was in the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a symbol and, in fact, in the Old Testament, was the literal manifestation of the presence of God on earth. You, you, and you know what's so cool? The Ark is literally a picture of Jesus. Inside the Ark was three things. One was a pot of manna. And see, when, when God, through Moses, delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt and, and through the Red Sea and into the wilderness for 40 years, um, they, they had no food to eat in their, uh, in their wandering in the wilderness. And they cried out to God, and God miraculously provided them with food. And they woke up in the morning, and there was like bread all over the ground. And they picked it up, and literally they called it manna. You know what manna means? What is this? So they picked it up and went, what is this? And they ate it, and it was miracle food from the Lord that sustained them, and it reminded them that God was their provider even in the middle of the wilderness. And Moses took a part of that, what is it, and put it in the Ark of the Covenant to remind us that God is our miraculous provider. And when Jesus came, you know what he said? He said, I am the bread of life. You've been asking, what is it? Let me tell you what it is. It is me. I am Jesus, and I'm here to provide salvation for you. It's a picture of Jesus. Then inside the ark was the rod of Aaron. See, see Moses was afraid to talk because he stuttered, so he asked God to give him a mouth, and that mouth was his brother Aaron, and Aaron would actually, Moses would stand there like the godfather, and Aaron would say everything to Pharaoh, and he was the first priest of God. And in order to ordain Aaron as priest, uh, God did a sign and a wonder in front of the people. And what that sign was is Aaron had a stick that he would walk with. And God made the dead sick stick come to life. And it budded. And it started to come alive. And they put that stick in the Ark of the Covenant to show that God is a God that brings dead things to life. And then Jesus, thousands of years later, would die on a stick and he would rise again. And it's a picture that our God is the resurrection and the life. And his name is Jesus. And that was in the Ark of the Covenant. Come on. I don't know about you, but I'm nerding out right now and this is cool. And then they put the, they put the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone that represented the law and the holiness of God. You know why this is so awesome? Because even though God is holy and he dwells in unapproachable light, he wants to be known by you and approached by you. So he gives you some things that you need to obey in order to come close to him. And the law of God was hidden in the ark of God. And it symbolized the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And in him are all the fulfillment of the law. And if we believe in him and trust him and obey him, we are in fact obeying the law. Can I get an amen? And the coolest thing is the Ark of the Covenant on top of it had something called the mercy seat. And this mercy seat is where once a year the priest would consecrate himself for the whole nation of Israel and he'd make himself holy by obeying all of these things that God said to do. And he'd walk in there in reverence and fear. And he would take the blood of the lamb that was uh, sacrificed and pour it on the top of the mercy seat. And the blood of the lamb would cover the sins of the people. And, and it was to symbolize that grace is greater than the law. And that the law that we have disobeyed in our sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus so that we can draw close to him. That was the ark of God. Come on, somebody. You just got a crash course, okay? We're doing a 10-part series on the ark of the covenant. <laughs> and so the ark of God was not in the city of David, in the capital of Israel. And it symbolized God's presence. And David had this desire. He's like, God's presence 
that right now is in a place needs to be brought into the capital so that the whole nation will be blessed. Isn't this an amazing thing that we're doing? And so he goes to get the Ark of the Covenant because he has this deep desire to honor the Lord. 2 Samuel 6, 5 says this, David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, some other instrument I can't pronounce, and cymbals. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nechon, oh, sorry, he's, he was in the first service. We have a guy named Nechon in our church. Um, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Watch this. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. Now let me give you this picture. David is so excited to bring the ark in, and they're starting to worship and get excited. And David just has all practical guys around him. So they're like, why don't we just get our Ford F-150 and prop the ark up there, and we can get it right quick down into Jerusalem. Amen? And basically, what we see in Scripture here is that instead of honoring the holiness of God by carrying the presence of God into the city the way that the law had determined, they just quickly put a cart up with ox, and it was like a 1994 Ford F-150 that had rust all over it, and they were just trying to get it into the city quick. And when they went to a certain spot on the way to the city of David, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah puts out his hand and immediately dies because of God's holiness. And immediately, as the Bible says, David gets extremely discouraged. He gives up on his plan to bring the presence of God to the city. And he says, man, if God is this unapproachable, we're all doomed. And he gets extremely depressed. Friends, I think we have to be really careful about creating fantasies about who we wished God was because of our weakness and our sin. And if we want to develop a deep desire for God, We've got to stop inventing the God of our imagination, come on church, and go back to what the word says about who he really is. You know the, the Bible says that God is love. And guess how many times it says God is love? One time. Now, now friends, I don't mean by saying that the God is not love. If the Bible says something once, that's good enough for me. My God is love. And, and, and many times it talks about how loving God is. His steadfast love endures forever. But the Bible also says that God is holy. You, might, you know how many times the Bible says God is holy? Over 400 times. I don't know, but I think sometimes our worship songs are out of balance. Amen? You love me, you love me. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You love me, you love me. God's like, I do love you, but I'm also a holy God. And I have a holy love. You know, the Bible reveals who God is. I believe it's in the book of Isaiah. And, or it's either Isaiah or Ezekiel. And, and the prophets transported to God's throne room. And in God's throne room, there are these angels, these seraphim, and they have six wings, three on one side, three on the other. And I always thought, man, it would suck to be an angel that only had two wings when there was angels with six. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Hummingbird angels, you know? And the Bible says they're covered with eyes all over their wings, all over their body. And they just fly around God. And the reason they have six wings is so that they can see God from every angle. And the reason they're covered with eyes is they can see God with, from every angle. And their song is holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy. It's holy over here. Oh, my gosh, Dave. It's holy over here, too. Yeah. Brian, 
I'm seeing holiness down here as well, forever and ever. Friends, God is holy, holy, holy. God, God cannot exist in the presence of sin without destroying the sin because he's good. Sin separates us from him. Friends, if we want a deep desire for God, we've got to stop being moderns that imagine this fantasy of what God's really like, and we've got to get back to the word. And we've got to remember that we serve a holy God. That, that Paul says, just because you have grace, it, all the more, kill your sin. Get it out of your life. Now that you know it separates you from God, because of all Jesus has done, don't live a life of sin, but live a life of righteousness unto God. Come on, church. We've got to be a church that's passionate about, if we want to be passionate about loving God, we've got to understand we serve a God that's holy and loving. And that's what the cross was all about, amen? Let's stop imagining a God of our fantasy. Start approaching the true God of the word because that fantasy will never get, give you the depth and love for Jesus that you need to develop deep desire. 2 Samuel 6 verse 8 says, David was angry because the Lord's anger burst out against Uzzah he named that place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah. Really creative name. And it, it is still called that today. David was now afraid of the Lord. <laughs> Watch this. On David's journey to love God more, he had to fear the Lord. He was a, David, the, the man after God's own heart, was afraid of the Lord because of his might and holiness. He says, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. Obed-Edom. Here's point number two. Desire develops in a dark room. Man, I love things that develop over time. I actually think the best things in life take time to develop. Amen? It's not something you can just get right away. It's not that hit of dopamine that you can just get right now. It's actually the patience and the waiting and the shaping. And the, I actually, I like to buy clothes from Japan because they develop over time. Like raw denim, you know what I'm saying? I got a couple people smiling because they're like, yeah, you talk our ear off about it all the time. <laughs> but I like that stuff because it develops over, it, it has a patina on it, you know what I'm saying? And it, it gets better with age, not worse. It's an heirloom piece you can give to your children and they, they have this little, idea of like what that, there's just something about development. Like you don't want to drink wine on the first day, that's just grape juice, you know what I'm saying? It needs some time to develop. Time, and you know, Jesus relates salvation to wine. The new wine that comes and fills the new wine skin. Why? Because it takes time. Never think that the desire that you need for God just develops overnight. It's a lifetime of faithfulness. It develops in a dark Room, You know, the greatest sermon Jesus ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this, when you pray, don't pray publicly for everybody to see. That kind of prayer is fine. But make sure you're taking time to pray in your closet, in your secret place, where nobody sees. Hey, when you fast, don't mess up your hair and go, oh, I'm so hungry, I'm fasting. Ugh. Don't do that. That's just a diet. When you fast... Keep your big mouth shut and do it unto the Lord. God knows you're fasting and your Father in heaven will reward you. And, and he goes on to say this, that if you tell people you've just received your reward, 
It's just the praise of people. Wow, that person's really disciplined. But when you fast privately, when you pray privately, you receive a reward from God. Friends, that's the reward of developing desire in the dark room. Man, what if we were a church that just got this habit where I'm not telling anybody, but I'm going to spend time with Jesus every day. And at first it's going to be awkward and weird and my mind's going to wander because I'm addicted to TikTok. And, and I, but, but over time, it's going to develop like a fine wine. And I'm going to get a desire that God's going to develop. Because work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Come on, somebody. Developing desire in the dark room. See, David understood what dark rooms felt like. He was the last of his brothers. They didn't even invite him when Samuel came to anoint the next king. Because surely it couldn't have been that loser. He was out in the fields with the sheep, just all by himself in a dark room. David, his boss was throwing spears at him, Saul. I'm so glad Pastor Justin has never thrown a spear at me, okay? He'd probably get me too, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but he had this boss, and, and, and he had to run away, and he was in the cave. And in that dark room, God developed desire. When, when he saw Uzzah die, he went back to the dark room with fear of God and a revelation of his holiness, and God began to develop desire in the dark room. Look what David writes in the Psalms, some of the greatest writings ever in the Bible about desire, 42.1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Come on, my dad, my dad used to play this song on the saxophone. All As the deer pants for the water, oh, my soul cries out for you. Come on, somebody, anybody go to church when they were a kid? There you go. That's what the old guys would sing. Watch this, Psalm 63.1. You, God, are my God. I earnestly seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry, parched land where there is no water. Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Oh, to have a desire like David. That develops in the dark room when no one cares, no one notices. Maybe there's an area of your life that you feel is not working. Maybe God is lovingly placing you in a dark room, giving you a revelation of his holiness so he might develop desire in you. Come on, church. Hey, point number three. This is where it gets good. Praise is a positive feedback loop. <laughs> see, see, there's David, and he's... He's afraid of God because of what happened to Uzzah, and they've, they've canceled the plan, right? They've burned the pickup truck, and, and the Ark of the Covenant is brought to Obed-Edom's house, and it's just sitting there, and everyone's in sorrow, and 2 Samuel 6 says this, then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's house and everything he has because of the Ark of God. I imagine the whole nation after hearing about Uzzah, had a revelation of the holiness of God, including Obed-Edom. And I imagine it would be a little bit scary to have the ark of God come over to your house after that had happened. 
And so I bet because he wanted to honor God's holiness so much, I, I bet the ark of God moved into the master bedroom of Obed-Edom's house. Anybody believe that? And he said, you have my room, Lord, you know? And it's sitting there, and because he's had a revelation of holiness in the dark room, while the nation mourns that God's presence can't make it to the capital, there Obed-Edom is, and he's honoring God, and he's praying, and he's, he's in the fear of the Lord because of how good God is. And all of a sudden, God just begins to bless Obed-Edom's house. And, and the Bible says he's so blessed. Everybody all of a sudden just takes notice, like, what is up with Obed-Edom? He's got joy. He's got radiance. His children are blessed. I don't know what it was. I can only imagine the Bible doesn't clarify. But the nation took notice of God's hand, even in the middle of his holiness on Obed-Edom's life. And David the king heard, and David got excited. You see, see, I've preached this before, but it comes into my heart so often. I want to share it with you again. Praise is literally the response to God's surprise grace. See, grace is the, the root word is charis, and it means unmerited favor. It means grace is when God leans into you even when you don't deserve it. Through Jesus, we can experience God's grace because he paid the price for the death that we deserved, and now he can lean into us, and it's amazing. And watch, joy is the, the word kara, and what it means is it's, you're surprised by how good God's grace is. That's what joy is. Joy is when you're like, whoa! God, you're that good? That's why you can have joy in trial. That's why when you're going through a trial, you consider it an opportunity for joy because even when your life sucks, God is still good and his grace is still in your life and whoa, you get surprised by his grace and praise is Cairo. That's what the word is and this is what it means. It means celebrating God's surprise grace. And see, see, David has had a revelation of the holiness of God. And then when he sees the goodness of God in Obed-Edom's house, he's literally surprised. And he's filled with joy. And he responds with praise. Look what the Bible said. That was so weird. That was like anime. Like, yeah. <laughs> then King David was told, the Lord had blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything that he had because of the ark of God. So David went there. And he brought the ark from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with great celebration. Watch this. They traded in the pickup truck for something else because they had a revelation of God's holiness and the dark room, their desire was developed. And now they realize they need to treat God with the holiness he deserves in order to connect with him and not the fantasy of who they thought he should be. Watch this. After the men were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. I mean, that's a lot of sacrifice. That's a lot of cost. Imagine walking like 10 kilometers and every sixth step, you got to do a sacrifice. I mean, I mean, all of a sudden, David's perspective has changed and he's praising with all of his might. He was so moved, he gave, gave God's card an upgrade. And 2 Samuel 6.14 says, wearing a linen ephod. It's a priestly garment because priests connect God with the people. And it was a, a picture that, that God was connecting with his City as they brought the presence of God to the city of David. David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. Come on. Have you ever danced with all your might before? Come on. Very few people. I, I just picture David's like, ah, dancing. I got a feeling. Woo tonight. And he just starts dancing. He's like, let's go. Let's go. Here we go. Here. Like he's, he's praising. 
He just can't get He's so excited. He's, he's dancing. He's worshiping. Hey, God deserves praise with all your might, church. He, God, he, he's dancing like a fool, like an idiot. He's celebrating. He's loving God with all of my heart. I can't do it anymore. And God's like, that's exactly how much praise I deserve. With all your might. He, he's, he's, he's understood God. Desire's been developed. And there's this positive feedback loop of praise that's happening in his life. While he had all Israel, they're bringing the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him. David was dancing so hard that his wife got embarrassed. Come on, that's some praise right there. You know what I'm saying? Like he was praising. So, and, and you know what David says? I don't care. I'll become even more undignified than this. Because that's how, see, desire always bubbles up into praise. And, and listen, friends, I don't know what comes first, the chicken or the egg. In this instance, it's desire that bubbles up into praise. But sometimes in the Psalms, David's praise ends up bubbling up into desire. There's some times where he goes, soul, you're going to bless God. Oh, my soul, all that is within me right now, I command you to bless God. And I'd imagine that he didn't really feel like it at the time. But he knew there's a positive feedback loop. I don't know what's first, the chicken or the egg. But, but if you want to develop desire for God in your life, obviously you need a dark room. You need to connect with who God really is. But you've got to become a person who just praises God with all that is within you. I love watching our pastor praise in the front row. Song one, he's like, with everything. He doesn't need the worship team to warm him up at all. Can I get a big amen? Come on. Come on, we got to be a church that's a little bit more like that. That's just ready to lean in and say, man, I don't even care what happens at church today. I showed up and my soul will bless the Lord because I'm developing a desire for God. And I don't know what comes first, the chicken or the egg. All I know is if I work out my salvation with fear and trembling, God is working in me, giving me the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Come on, put your hands together if you believe it today. Pray, praise is contagious. The whole city's like, whoa. And the leadership of praise builds desire in a city. That's why, that's why we challenge you to praise, church, because you lead when you praise. You praise despite how you feel because God is, your feelings aren't God. God is God. And so you praise him. And, you, and, and your desires snap into alignment with obedience to the will and the work of God. Some of you are like, why do we do music first? Man, the people of Israel, they knew how to praise. They knew how to praise. They knew how to throw a party. You know that one of the festivals that they did in Israel was a big camping trip where everyone went camping? So the festival of booths. <laughs> and then they'd praise and go wild. It's crazy. God's fun. And, and it's powerful when we praise. Last point today. Desire starts in the heart, but it ends in the hands. There's another positive feedback loop. Praise is a positive feedback loop. But friends, serving is a positive feedback loop, loop too. I don't know what comes first. Serving the Lord or desire for God. A desire for God and serving the Lord. You've got to connect with who God is. He's holy. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. And then he develops us in a dark room. Take the picture out before it's ready. He doesn't overexpose that thing. He develops a deep desire in you.
And then I'm going to continually praise him. And that positive feedback loop is going to develop desire. And I'm going to serve him with all my heart. That's going to create desire for God. I'll serve you no matter what, Lord. Look what happens to Obed-Edom. I'd imagine the ark goes into the city and Obed-Edom's like, bye. You know, like, my house isn't going to be blessed anymore. You know, just goes back home, moves into his master bedroom, you know. Smells the pillow that the ark of the Lord was on. You know, misses him. (laughs) I always get Joel with that stuff. It's so good. First Chronicles 15, 16. There's a lot of names in here. I'm just going to skim over because Pastor Kobe can't pronounce them, okay? Um, but I think you're going to get the point. David told the leaders of the Levites to appoint their fellow Levites as musicians to make a joyful sound with musical instruments. He told you. They've been doing it for a long time. Lyres, harps, cymbals, drums, bass guitar, and electric guitar. So the Levites appointed He-Man, son of Joel, <laughs> From his relatives, Asaph, son of that guy, and their relatives, the Meritites, Ethan, son of Cushiah, and with them, their relatives in next rank, that guy, 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 and Obed-Edom. And look what it says in verse 21. They're appointing people to sound bronze cymbals. Some guy, some guy, some guy, Obed-Edom. And some guy and some guy, they're to play the harps. Then verse 24, a bunch of other guys. The pr- and the priest there to blow trumpets before the ark of God. Oh, Obed-Edom, he was going to be one of the doorkeepers too. Look at First Chronicles 16.4. He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to extol, thank, and praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief, and next to him in rank were Zechariah. Then a bunch of guys, oh, and guess who? Obed-Edom. They were to play the lyres and the harps, and Asaph was to sound the cymbals. Then David left Asaph and his associates before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister regularly according to each day's requirements. He also left Obed-Edom with his 68 associates to minister with them. I can imagine Obed-Edom's feeling a little down because he doesn't have the Ark at his house anymore, and they're signing up for team retreat down at the temple. They're releasing a culture course, and they're getting some volunteers. They need some things to go on in the church. And, and I'm telling you, Obed-Edom, in that dark room, God developed so much desire. And they're like, we need someone to pick up garbage outside. And he's like, I'll do it. I love garbage. And can I get close to God? Oh, if I could just get closer to God, I'll do it all. Like, hey, we need someone to do security. A lot of people have been coming in. Nobody was like, I love throwing punches. Anything for God. Hey, we need some musicians. I can play the triangle. Anybody need more cowbell? I can do it. He's a doorkeeper. He plays the harp. He plays the cymbals. Obed-Edom does it all. Hey, I actually don't think he was talented or skilled or special. I just think he had a desire that had been developed in a dark room. That God, he'd seen God's presence and his holiness. And he had come to the conclusion that God was so good and so awesome and so loving that he just couldn't help but get his hands involved in the work of God on planet Earth. Come on. God will develop you. It'll start in your heart, but it'll end in your hands. And you'll leave a legacy. 
that, that tells your children and your children's children and, and the city that we're a church that desires the Lord. Developing desires. Friends, I just want to remind you as I close that God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do it. Pastor, I don't have that desire like that. God's working in you. Your job is to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And God's job is to work in you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Amen? So sign up for team retreat. I'm just kidding. Let's pray. Okay, front to the back. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you're so good. God, help our church to never be the church that simply worships a God of our fantasy. But let, let us be a church that hungers and thirsts for your word, that we might know the holy, holy, holy God of the universe. And in awe of your holiness, God, repent, turn to you. And God, as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, I thank you that you're developing deep desires in us. And our legacy would not be the music and not be the, the lights and the, the creativity and the entrepreneurship. Lord, all those things are wonderful. Thank you for them. But our legacy would be a legacy of the, the people that desired the Lord with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. With your eyes closed from the front to the back, if there's anybody here today, you know it and God knows it. I, just, I would love to pray for you today if you're feeling far from God. I'll never forget being in a church service like this, recommitting my life to Jesus because just some stuff had happened. I wasn't focusing. I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't leaning in. And I knew it and God knew it and I was far from him. And maybe you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. I want to remind you today that on the cross, Jesus died for our sins to pay the price that we couldn't pay and died the death that we deserved so that we could live a life with him that we don't deserve. That's the grace of God. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. If that's you today and you need to get right with God, the amazing thing is Jesus has taken every step to be close to you and you simply need to take a step of obedience to say yes to him. Say, say to God, I repent of my sins and I receive you as my Lord. If that's you today with everybody's eyes closed, I'm not gonna single you out but I do wanna pray with you today. And you know what God knows it. Let's leave church today knowing that we're right with God because we made a decision for him. I'm just going to simply count to three. And when I get to three, if you would just raise your hand as a symbol of you saying yes to Jesus, I'm going to pray with you right where you sit and give you some words to pray for the Lord. But if that's you today, you know what God knows it. Let's get right with God. One, two, three. Is there anybody here today? Just raise your hand. Thank you. I see that hand, brother. Is there anybody? Hey, I see that hand, brother. Thank you. Is there anybody that say, Pastor, I need to get right with the Lord today. Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down, and if you raise your hand today, look directly to Jesus right now, and let me lead you in a prayer. And if you love the Lord in your heart, why don't you lift up all those people today that are making decisions for Christ? So if you put up your hand, pray this with me directly to God in your heart. Say, Jesus, I love you so much. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. God, today I repent. God, I, I, I don't have the righteousness that's required to know you. And so I receive your grace. Thank you for dying for me. God, thank you that I'm a Christian. Thank you that you're my Lord. And God, thank you that heaven is my home and that the church is my family. God, help me to love you, serve you, and desire you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we put our hands together for some people receiving Jesus today in the church? Amen.
I love you guys, man. Uh, we have an awesome church, amen. It's so, so great what we get to be a part of. And we're excited. We have a bunch of great stuff coming up for the rest of the year. Um, uh, don't forget, oh, this week, I forgot to mention in the announcements, it's actually a hub week this week. We have small groups in our church that meet every second Thursday. And if you're part of the a hub, you know it's awesome. Uh, our hub has been building some steam and momentum, and we're having a ton of fun out in Surrey. Come on, Surrey needs Jesus, amen? <laughs> amen, we really need Jesus, you know? And, uh, but if you're, if you're not part of a hub and you'd like to be, it's simply like it's an hour and a half where you go and hang out at someone's house with a bunch of people from our church, and you laugh and have fun and talk about the weekend message, and it's, it's quick, painless, and insanely meaningful. And we want, we want every, you know, Vancouver is known as one of the most lonely cities in the world. They did a, a, a research project where they uh, interviewed people at universities that were moving to our city and asked how many friends did you make while you were here. And I, I'm almost certain that the average answer was zero friends. It was zero friends. It's really hard to make friends in this city. You know, there's this meme of saying hi when you're hiking in Toronto, and they're like, hi. And it's like saying hi when you're hiking in Vancouver, and the person's like this and just goes the other you know, and so we want you to have some people in your world that love you, that know you. And hey, when, when life is going good, it's actually the best time be, to become part of a hub. One, because you can give encouragement to others. It's not just about you. But two, it's a great time to connect because when life is not going good, you've already invested in a community that can pray for you and help you. And so I want to challenge you. Pastor's not going to do it for you. You've got to be a mature Christian and sign up for a hub, okay? And so you can do that in the back. Just let us know um, that you want to be part of one. We'll help you, Okay. And so there's Culture Course. Do it. It's online, vivid.church slash culture course. We got our team retreat, 20 bucks today. And next week's going to be the best week we've ever had. So we'll see you then. Okay? Peace out. Bye. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church. Or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.